Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello. Hello. Yay. Yay. We're back. We're back. We did it. We came back for another month. Who knew? Against all odds, here we are. <laughs> I'm very excited. If you're, me too. If you're tuning in for the first time, hi, I'm Chloe. Hi, I'm Maura. And this is Historically Badass Broads, a podcast in which Maura I... has a history degree. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I really do. <laughs> and picks a Historically Badass Broad, unbeknownst to moi. We. And then uh, tells me all about her. I mean, I do my best. And you do great. Thanks. I'm so excited. You, grammatically, I feel like that was wrong. You do well, maybe. Very was well. the sentence I was going to no, very, very is, I don't need to add that. That sounds like I think I do very well. Um, this isn't a literature grammar no, no, podcast. No, it's not. This, this is a history podcast. That's right. And you know what? We break rules in the field of history. We have fun. Left and right hypotheses we collaborate with various mm. other um disciplines like anthropology sure. and yeah and, that and one sociology and mm-hmm. languages that generally yeah, so who cares it's fine you know we it's we great. like to break boundaries we like to we like to have fun in the field of history contrary Famously. to public opinion but i'm actually the you know the worst part i'm not kidding <laughs> I know you're not. Please believe me. I know you're not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like genuinely. I can't say I I disagree with you though. I mean, (gasps) I've been having fun on this podcast. Oh my God. You just made my life. Yeah. I'll I'll put it in writing. I'll send it to you for whatever major holiday is next. Hanukkah. It's early this year. Is it? Apparently. How do you know that already? I'm always Googling it as it's happening. Two half Jews trying to figure out when Hanukkah is. Um, right. <laughs> I think my dad said, "Oh, Hanukkah's early this year," and I was like, "Oh, cool." That's how I. Think you didn't even. You're a history. You didn't even look up. You didn't even back that research up. I did not. There is. It's unsubstantiated. <gasps> it's completely unsubstantiated. Oh my gosh! <laughs> this is wild. We are Isn't just it? driving right off the tracks this morning. And you know what? I'm actually mm. going to take us back to the beginning for this podcast. Of trains? Of when you and I met, Chloe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I was following. <laughs> of trains. <laughs> um, so, listeners, Chloe and I met a couple years ago. And this is true. We, when we met, we decided, you know what? We're going to go for afternoon tea. Or we're going to have lunch. And then it was like, oh, I guess we'll go for tea. And then we actually no, did. No, we were excited about the tea. We were, <laughs> this, that was a very conscious and excited effort to go get tea. You're not wrong. And we we had a bunch of places in New York we wanted to choose. And then we ended up finally choosing one. And it was hilarious. Such a weird place. We were there for like four hours. If I'm not wrong, I believe it's called King's Carriage House. I wasn't going to name it. 
<laughs> I'm naming it because I think people should go. I don't disagree. I hope it's still there. I wonder oh. if COVID did a number on it. <sighs> Strikes again. <laughs> let's let's think good thoughts for King's Carriage House for the deer that, that was mounted on the wall. Little, do you know? In some ways, it reminds me of a fun house. It really did. I actually loved it there, and the tea was actually pretty I did darn too. good. We should go everything back. about it was a little off, just a little bit off. But we had but a in the best time. way. In we the had best a really way. good time, and there were a bunch we of did. weird. It was an odd place. Our mm. company that we had weird company there, you know, but. We had fun. I remember walking in and thinking, no, that's not. Yeah. Did I, am I in someone's house? Yep. It, hang on. <laughs> it's like a drawing room that you like walk by a staircase and then in the back, like around the corner is just <laughs> like a tea room. You know, of all the places I've been in my life, this is the one that probably visually stands out the most. Really? I love it. It's an, I it can remember almost every detail of that place. I can too. And Anyways, you were saying. <laughs> no, one of the most important things, detail-wise, that we can remember was the teapot that was brought out mm -hmm. to us. It was a hexagonal teapot. Sure. And on each face was a wife of Henry VIII of England. This is and true. What started all of this was that I saw that and felt absolutely 100% compelled to launch into a diatribe about each and every one of them. And Chloe thought it was fun <laughs> and then said, Hey, we should have, a well, you know, in traditional, in, in the way that we've been doing this, it, it was less of like, uh, here's what happened then. And here's what, it was like a oh, no, highlight like a, reel yeah. of the greatest hits, you know, greatest hits. And, mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of how we decided to have a podcast. So I figured in honor of that, although it, this doesn't match up with like the timing of that or anniversary of it or whatever, I just felt like it doing it. I have no idea what time of year that was. <laughs> I think it was like April or March or something. Sure. I think we met in, Mar in March. You could tell, you could say any month and I would say, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Sure. Totally. But mm -hmm. we're going to do the six lives of Henry VIII. At the but same time? Absolutely not. There's too much to cover. Okay. So this month we're going to okay. do Catherine of Aragon. <laughs> Woohoo! Hooray! <laughs> and uh, timely because Six the Musical is on Broadway. <sighs> I just wanted to take a moment. Six the Musical is so great. I haven't <laughs> seen it, but I listen to the music a lot. I'm very happy it's a thing. Do you know it, I did the exact same thing? I never do that. Do you know I never do that? I normally... Oh, I always do that. Oh, no. If I haven't seen a show, I don't <laughs> want to listen to the music because I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll hear it out of context oh, and I don't understand. But I couldn't help myself because my best friend Molly was like, you need to listen to this. And mm -hmm. I was like, fine. So she put on um, Don't Lose Your Head, which is Anne Boleyn's song, which is right. hilarious. And um, I couldn't stop listening to all of it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm obsessed, as I should be, as everyone should be. If you haven't listened to any of it, go listen to it right now. If you're in New York, and, get a ticket. Go see it. And if you can't afford it and you want to listen to it like we did. I mean, I had a musical theater class in college in which one of our assignments was to listen to one musical per week. 
Stunning. And what we would do is like, well, I don't know if other people are doing this, but what I would do is I would listen to it and then I would like read the Wikipedia summary as yeah. as Stunning. I listened. So for those of you who uh, cannot go to Broadway, I highly recommend read along, see what the plot is and listen to the music. Enjoy. Though I, I, I will say, having seen, you know, like clips of it on Instagram and production photos and like gym I at least performance look at on, on the late night shows it's bomb. yeah I, I I do feel like visually their performances are probably adding like 80 percent of <laughs> what's <Yeah>. fun <laughs> also so I will say the one thing is like each of the queens are inspired mm-hmm. by a different pop star so like right Catherine of Aragon is Beyonce which is, as we get into her story, something I think you guys will understand. So in preparation for this podcast, I got to go through my library, which is my favorite thing in the world. When I say my library, I mean what used to be a closet and is now bookshelves. And Yay. Um, and I got to pick out like 12 books and I got to look Best. through them all, which is the light of my life. And my dog didn't even too. try and eat them. It was great. Um and one of the books I picked up was David Starkey's The Six Wives of Henry VIII, which is hilariously large. And one of the things I thought was really interesting was he spends about 300 pages talking about Catherine. He spends about 400 pages talking about Anne Boleyn. And then he devotes the next about 150 pages to the remaining four wives. Huh. Yeah. So a bit of bias. Slightly. He's an interesting guy. He's an interesting guy. I have a lot of do thoughts other on people. Mr. Is it is there just more information on some of them, and that other no. people have the same thing? No, no, just just no, like no. a really strong preference. See, he chose an interesting path. It could have been based on years of influence, but then Catherine of Aragon would have been the entire book, and everyone else would have been relegated to like four pages each. So, right. Let's get into it because there's let's so much it. to talk about, and I think okay. she's awesome. So, Catherine of Aragon was born near Madrid in 1485. Actually, in December. Hmm, see? Timeliness. Look at that. What? Except this is coming out in November. Oh, well. <laughs> Shh, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Did you think it was coming out in December for a second? I got really excited for a second. I yeah. just wanted to clarify the thought process there. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. I don't know what month or day or year it is, so... I There's know no it's judgment ha- from me. I, I just think that too, was funny. Because it's, it's like my favorite holiday. Uh- <laughs> December or Halloween? Halloween. Yeah, we're recording this on Halloween, by the way. Spoiler alert. I know I'm that, wearing... I guess... I don't know if, like, the making of this podcast is shrouded in mystery, but... I think it's know. just... Yeah. I'm wearing bright green socks that have spiders on them. And an orange I'm shirt. wearing a shirt that says, I bite. And it has vampire teeth and <gasps> the words are in blood. I want that. It's pretty good. It's okay. That's so cute. Thanks. Chloe's a great shirt slash mug person. She can find <gasps> and or create it's true. gifts. My, I have I a gift-giving. historically badass broads mug. That is mm-hmm. brilliant. Thank you, Chloe. And for yeah, my birthday this that. year, she got me a shirt that has my dog on it. Well, my mm-hmm. dog's breed, but it looks like my dog mm-hmm. with like a, all I need is my dog and a good wire Fox terrier. That's right. His name is Darcy. He mm-hmm. is so freaking cute. I want to scream all the time. Anyway. It's true. Um, 
So we're going back. We're going in December yes. of 1485, which has no bearing on our current time. <laughs> Just to clarify. Just to clarify. Okay. But let me tell you a little something. So she's born okay. to Ferdinand and Isabella. You guys have heard of them? Have you heard of them? Me? Yeah. Oh, don't ask me. I, I just Uh-oh. did it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Ferdinand Isabella. We've heard of them. You ever heard of this douche named Columbus? Like Christopher Columbus? Like Christopher Columbus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he was commissioned by Ferdinand and Isabella to go find the new world. Right. So. Yeah. No, I knew that. I was just, you know, playing the everyman. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. 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 So let me just, 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 I'm going to go quickly talk about them just so you understand the context in which she's growing up. Her mom, <laughs> Queen Isabella of Castile is so fucking cool. She will get her own episode one day. I love her. She's amazing. So she is inherits Castile, which, so Spain is not unified um, before, well, this is before Catherine's birth. So before her parents got married, before Ferdinand and Isabella got married, um, Castile and Aragon were two separate kingdoms. And there were other little ones, Portugal's its own kingdom, which it's still its own state or country, but you know, it it part of it. Also, Italy's not a, a thing. It's a little principalities and city-states. So Europe looks a lot different. There's a Holy Roman Empire. France looks weird. There's a whole Netherlandish kingdom. And yeah. Anyway, so is Castile is the large part of Spain. It's huge, um, extremely powerful. And Aragon is the kind of coastal region. So it has great access to ports and is very important. And they both have really interesting kind of differences in, in culture, but Ferd- Ferdinand and Isabella come together and they get married and they unify Spain and they become what's known as the Catholic monarchs because they are extremely religious. Not only that, but they lead the inquisition, which is not the first time there's ever been an inquisition. But for those of you who don't know what the inquisition was, it was a concerted effort to purify and to weed out non-Catholic um, forces of evil Jews and um <laughs> scary 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 oh we're so terrifying um and uh you know other non-christian what they dis- decreed as non-christians um it also mm-hmm. was part of the concerted effort this is also um one of the last forces through a, a crusade this is kind of the last era of a crusade coming through so this is the late 15th century so Ferdinand and Isabella have a bunch of kids unfortunately not all of them live to adulthood that's very common Mm -hmm. she's the youngest one so Catherine is born as the youngest one and she's like immediately beloved by everyone because she's the baby also she's absolutely beautiful so she's really short she has red hair blue eyes and very pale skin what I think is really interesting (laughs) is that every time you see a depiction of Catherine of Aragon she looks like very dark she has like dark brown hair and dark olive skin she's usually depicted as very nice looking but they always make her very Spanish, like very other. And I think yeah, as we I go- mean, people, people don't seem to uh, be able to understand that people of races all look different. Well, yeah. This is a but- big trend on TikTok, by the way. Is it? It is. Just to bring TikTok back into another podcast. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm so hip. I completely <laughs> understand everything about TikTok. Um, I'm no, on it's it. just like all people who are, are white passing- but get mad when other people are like, 
you can't talk about this because you're white. And they're like, no, I'm literally not. <laughs> like, stop I assuming get that. things. Not to the same degree, but I mean, I'm Middle Eastern and you'd never know it. Mm-hmm. People think I'm Irish. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Not my fault. My Your name's also be... Mora. I know. My parents didn't help me with that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, but yes. But, yes, but yes. What, so depicted, one of the... Depicted, right. So, but actually one of the... One of the and th- this is commonly discussed when people discuss her historically is that that's most likely a byproduct of her otherness that was kind of perpetuated throughout her daughter's reign, Mary the first, whom we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, and there was a lot of insistence that they were not English, they were Spanish. And so usually speaking, um, there are historical interpretations of things like the Tudors, that that TV show and other things are often produced in England. And I think their biases come through in depictions because that show Mm -hmm. has a Catherine of Aragon who is very dark. And she's, again, she's a beautiful woman, great actress, but Catherine of Aragon was real pale and ginger. So um, (laughs) she's actually... So we're going to just talk really briefly about the Wars of the Roses again. We've talked about them before. They're very complicated. Everyone has the same four names. Um, In essence, what you need to know for the context of this is that the man who's currently the king of England at this point is Henry VII. His wife is Elizabeth of York. I believe we've talked about her. And she's awesome. I love Mm -hmm. her. So... He his claim to the throne is very tenuous. It it basically is um he's descended through a illegitimate then legitimized line um uh, that he you know that he's king basically. So his claim to the throne basically is very good only because they've killed so many other claimants to the throne but also because he won a battle. It, it it's not widely recognized at this point throughout Europe. This is still very fresh. Catherine of Aragon actually has a much stronger and legitimate claim to the throne because the claims are coming from this man named John of Gaunt. And she is related to Henry VII, Catherine is, um, actually through the first two wives of John of Gaunt, whereas John of Gaunt was married to a third woman. Her name's Catherine Swinford, who I'm sure we will talk about one day. And those were the kids who were born out of wedlock, but then legitimized later. And then that's kind of the big um, debate happening in England. So at the time, Catherine is not only born as an heir to the English throne, she is, of course, born to the illustrious Aragon and Castile kingdom. Um, And so she's a very important girl. Um, She has older sisters and um, one older brother who actually passes away, unfortunately. Um, A lot of her siblings pass away pretty young. And Mm -hmm. um, which is quite common at the time doesn't mean it didn't hurt um people always have a weird impression that like late medieval and early modern um people didn't have the same um ideals and notions of family ties as we do but that's Mm -hmm. not true um when a kid died it was very sad um people often talked about that they wrote things but um i digress slightly and um so but that's interesting it is and i think god i could talk about that all day i shouldn't um no i mean one of the big things that we always say is it's they're just people they're They're, just just freaking people 
I know. It's, and it's that's wild when you realize it or like, you know, when you're is. reading somebody's words and you're like, I have those thoughts too. Huh? Yes. And I love it. I love that. That's my favorite part of history. Mm-hmm. I get, I'm getting really excited just talking about it. <laughs> I love it so much. They're people they and they feel and think and hurt and want and the same that we do. The circumstances might be slightly different, but they probably aren't that different. They just maybe have mm-hmm. different names or, you know, right. they wear slightly different clothes than us. Um, but people are people. We've been people for a long time. Um, and so she's an incredibly important dynastic princess, meaning she can be used to secure and or destroy um, through her marriage, uh, mm. very various claims to various thrones. And so, mm-hmm. but when she's quite young, um, she is immediately considered to be the wife for Arthur, who's the Prince of Wales. Um, he is Henry the Seventh's oldest son. And they're considered to be a very good match because like I mentioned, they're the Tudor claim. So this is the Tudor dynasty. The Tudor claim to the throne was fairly tenuous at this point, And hers was not, hers was legitimate. Um, and if we can remember that same thing happened, Elizabeth of York had a very good claim to the throne and it was through the marriage of her to her husband, Henry VII, that the Tudor dynasty was seen as becoming more legitimized. Um, Women. So (laughs) they were married. um, Let me rephrase. They were, she was two years old and they were married by proxy um, and, or betrothed. And then I think she's a year older than him. So he was like one. And they were like, this is a good idea. She was a That's year older me. than Arthur, Prince of Wales. Oh, we'll get into like older. Hold not up. Not always that way. <laughs> it actually is much more commonly that way than we have the impression of. Um, what? History. Jeez. So she was raised extremely well. Educated. She was extremely well educated. She studied absolutely everything. I mean, she spoke Latin and Spanish and French and Greek fluently brilliant woman. She studied law and um, classical literature, genealogy, heraldry, history, philosophy, theology, all the above. She was extremely religious, but her whole family was. So that was just, and everyone was, this is, there was no option at this time. Um, Mm -hmm. And so she was um, said to be very clever. Um, She was also said to be like one of the most beautiful women in the world. She was absolutely stunning. And so when she was married, uh, betrothed as a baby to Arthur, everyone was like, solid match. Great stuff. Mm -hmm. And her older sisters had been married off or were being married off. So her family was doing really well in that market. Um, It was literally called a market. And Mm -hmm. so if Arthur and Catherine had a son, the the throne, the Tudor throne would be like thoroughly and completely legitimized. Um, And so they often wrote to each other. Um, They, she was still being raised in her home in Spain. Arthur was obviously in England. Um, They often corresponded in Latin um, because that was the common language between the two. Mm -hmm. And they did that until he was 15 and she was 16. And that was when Henry VII said, you know what? They're old enough to be married. Um, Actually, what's really interesting is Elizabeth of York spent a great deal of time ingratiating herself with 
Isabella of Castile and um, Catherine, which I love like welcoming her and introducing herself over writings and trying to get Mm. to know each other. And I think that's really beautiful. We often don't, you know, we have a perception of young princesses being sent away and married and there's no connection and they never see their family again and no one cares about them. And while that may be true in some circumstances, a lot of the time it wasn't true. Everyone wanted happiness. They, they, maybe love wasn't the result, but they all had a common goal. And that was seen as often being more powerful than love. Um, Common goal brought together by God. That was the highest anything you could reach. And so um, they were communicating together. And then finally, like I said, Arthur's 15, Catherine's 16. They're like, you should come. And then there's a long, long, long passage that Mr. Starkey road that was like 30 pages about how her trip kept getting delayed basically anytime you try to sail to england there's gonna be weird weather that makes sense to me i don't need to go into it um (laughs) i have thoughts and um so she is supposed to arrive at like southampton she accidentally gets to portsmouth which is or plymouth excuse me which is all the way on the west side but after some funny finagling, they're able to have an impromptu celebration and progression of her to London. And she finally meets him when she is, I think, like I said, she's 16, I believe it's 1501. And Henry VII really wanted to meet her and get to know her. Like these people have been engaged for like 15 years. Um, You know, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. What does she look like? And Catherine has a really interesting identity crisis. So her father, Ferdinand, is a very kind of obstinate, very powerful man. And he has a lot of thoughts, as one would imagine. And Henry VII is likewise a very powerful, very obstinate man. And he has his own thoughts. And so when one of the last things her father said to her before she left Spain was become English. Like, it's very important that you adopt your new nationality. And so that's something that ends up kind of becoming a value to her um, as she continues and that she ingratiates herself to the culture immediately. She's extremely popular with the people. Um, And she's very, like I said, she's very beautiful. She's very learned. She's very stately. Um, And, you know, so she ends up kind of becoming this really great force. And so Henry the seventh really wants to meet her and her fought, she was also instructed not to meet anyone um, for some reason before they make it to London. But Henry VII is like, I'm the king. I'm in England. You know, I'm the king of England. You are you are in England. We should absolutely meet. And then Catherine said, well, I guess my father said I should be English. I will obviously bow to my new king. And so she does. And that doesn't seem like a huge thing, but it you know, for a woman who's raised to be very proud of her nationality, she was also raised to understand that she would have to forfeit that the moment she left her home. And and so that, I think, is kind of the first step of her attempting to become English. The one thing I will say that's very interesting is that she never really learned how to speak English. Is there a reason? I mean, it wasn't a common language to have to learn at the time. French and Latin were the two languages of court, and she spoke those fluently. Um, so it did they speak English in their downtime, though, at the palace? In England, they did, but you know, every other European court did not. So, 
Right, but basically from birth, they know that she's going to be English. And you have noticed some very important things in the family, which is (laughs) why didn't they do that if they knew she was going to be an English queen? Is there an answer? No, I don't have a fucking answer. I'm annoyed like you. Damn. Damn. That's so weird. Instead, her mother chose to have her learn French. But Right, but wasn't French spoken at court? It was, but why not both? Yeah, no, exactly. We have thoughts. We don't have answers. <sighs> yep. First sigh, get ready for more. So okay. she <laughs> gets married to Arthur on the 14th of November. <gasps> Connection in 1501. <laughs> <laughs> really grasping at straws here. Really am. But I found one. I found one. Okay. All right. And so they're married. She has a huge dowry, obviously. And half of it was paid right after the marriage. And they go to Wales. So Arthur's the Prince of Wales. And they go to Ludlow Castle, which you can still go to. And they go hang out there. And um, four months later, he dies. Whoa. From what? Why? They, they think what? perhaps the sweating sickness. Mr. Starkey posited that he could have had testicular what cancer. What is that? What the is sweating sickness? That? Sweating sickness yeah. could have been anything. It, it, it was. It was. No it's one really a term knows for like getting a fever. No, I mean it was pretty darn bad. A lot of people died from the sweating sickness. You think COVID's bad? I've never heard of this. Ooh. I, I do think COVID's bad, actually. <laughs> I know, but so many more people died from... Anyway, not comparing. COVID does suck. We all hate it. But the sweating sickness is horrific. Um, okay, so it like, is a thing. Everyone died. Yeah, it's an absolute thing. We don't really know what it is, but again, Mr. Starkey thinks that maybe Arthur could have had testicular cancer. We don't know. Either way... April 2nd, 1502, he dies, and Catherine at 16 is a widow. So only a couple months after she arrives in England, her entire purpose of life is to become queen of England. She has left everything, her whole family behind. Half of her dowry has been paid, and the other half has been not paid yet, and she's a widow, which means she's literally in limbo. Um, That's messed up. It's so messed up. And then unfortunately, her mother passes away fairly soon after that, which means her, quote, value, end quote, is absolutely decreased. And the reason why is because Castile and Aragon were joined only by the marriage of Ferdinand and Isabella, Mm -hmm. not by like an official thing. And like I said, their son died. And so there was no unifying force. And so Catherine's older sister, Juana... Um, ends up inheriting she was known or joanna excuse me she was known as joanna the mad unfortunately she had some mental health issues that were undiagnosed and unhelped um happens to the best of us it happens to the best of us and it really happened to her um like i said so castile was a huge kingdom aragon was not and she's basically now had doesn't really have a legal tie to castile like i said her sister's now queen and mm-hmm. um So did it really behoove anyone to keep her in England? No. Unfortunately, Queen Elizabeth of York dies in 1503. 
And Catherine, like I said, she's still in limbo. Um, so she's just kind of there. She's almost under house arrest just because it, it's a very interesting thing. Who legally has jurisdiction over her? Um, you know, where is she allowed to go? She can't really make a lot of decisions on her own because she's technically technically the Dowager Princess of Wales. She was invested with that. Um, and so she could stay there, but she hasn't uh, inherited her dowager. And there's a whole legal kind of battle going on. And then Henry VII is like, maybe she should get married to my younger son, Henry, the Duke of York. And so that kind of seems agreed upon. Ferdinand and Henry VII kind of think, oh yeah, she'll marry Henry, the Duke of York. Um, but then at one point, it seems like maybe Henry VII is like, maybe I'll marry her. And then he's like, nah, 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 I shouldn't do that. And then, um, so basically what ends up happening is for seven years, Catherine is held in limbo. And like I said, I do, I do feel like that's, that's actually quite a long time. It's a very long time. It's a very, especially since she's 22. She'll be, yeah, 23. She'll be 23. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Ugh. So what ends up happening is because, like I mentioned, half of her dowry isn't paid, Henry VII becomes a dick and starts using that against her. And like he starts basically holding her hostage over it and the payment of it and starts mistreating her um, in order to elicit sympathy from her father and to get Ferdinand to pay the last half of the dowry. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's unfortunately having a terrible time she's like human blackmail in one of her letters yes exactly in one of her letters um she writes to her father i choose what i believe and say nothing for i am not as simple as i may seem she didn't seem simple no but women (laughs) right 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 we're stupid so she had like no money day-to-day life is it, it it wasn't very good. So she's basically in house arrest at Durham House. Mm-hmm. Um, she had virtually no money. She has, you know, someone who has a court has to support them. We we often think of, oh, they're just rich and people like serve them. No, they, they were paid. Um, and so she has ladies in waiting that she has to be paying and she can't. Um, she has like no money for that. And then weirdly enough, in 1507, she becomes the very first female ambassador in European history when she becomes the Spanish ambassador to England. How? I don't know. I actually don't know. Hmm. And they think that they can use her. So again, this is another, I think it's another tool by Henry VII. They think they can use her. She is Mm. Spanish. Um, To manipulate their interests in Spain. There's a lot of wars. Listen, I'm not going to go into it because men are stupid. There are a lot of wars going on between France and Spain and England and everyone else in Europe. Hi, I'm DeLon Grant. And I'm Francesca Ramsey. And together we host the podcast, Let Me Fix It. Each week we explore something from the past and then we pitch how to fix it for today. But forget about the past. Let's talk about the new show of the moment. DeLon, did you get a chance to watch the new Queenie trailer I sent you? How dare you send me this amazing <laughs> show that took me back to every messy breakup I've ever had. Thank God I had you through my 20s. Now you could not pay me to go back and relive those days, but thankfully we will be living as Queenie navigates her messy 20s the new series queenie is now streaming on hulu hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. They're all stupid. None of them matter. Um, okay. Easily avoidable, but mm. all of them were fought for no reason. <laughs> reasons i think are so stupid anyway so I feel like you have an opinion about that <laughs> i have so many opinions about war i've discussed it before i think it's it's a pointless endeavor um sure 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 and often very motivated by size issues in my personal opinion anyway so um she is a spanish ambassador and she's like oh great i have power and then like doesn't become manipulated by them which i love so they don't really let her do it very long. But she was the first female ambassador ever in Europe. How cool is that? Still cool. Still cool. Um, and then by around 1509, Henry VII, he becomes older and he's like, I don't know if I want to marry her. I don't know. And then he's like, you know what? I do want to marry her. And then his father dies. So Henry VII passes away. And then he's like, yeah, I'm absolutely going to marry her. And so. Um, he's 18, she's 23, and they have to receive something called dispensation. We've talked about this before. And papal dispensation is because canon, there's a disagreement with canon law, meaning biblical law, versus what royal people are actually wanting to do for political reasons. So, and this becomes huge later. So it's weird that he's marrying his brother's widow. That's basically the whole thing. And in Leviticus, they say you can't marry your brother's widow. But there's a, for the record, there's another passage in another part of the Bible that I can't quote because I don't really care about that. But that basically says one is obliged to marry your brother's widow to protect her. So there's there's disagreement. So you pick which one you want. Yes. Welcome to religion. <laughs> um, so no comment. No comment. Um, so. <laughs> They and so basically they're but based on Leviticus, that chapter, the the Pope had to grant dispensation saying, No, 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 you could. And the whole it hinged on the fact that Catherine swears that her marriage to Arthur was never consummated. Because if a marriage has never been consummated, if it's been unconsummated, you can get a dissolution of it. You can get an amend uh right. what is it called? Not a divorce. Annulment. An annulment. Thank you. Annulment. Mm-hmm. And not an amendment, Mora. Um, so she swears it was never consummated. And there's a lot of debate about this. Um, and there's a lot of emotional things tied up in that debate. You know, is Arthur comes out of his marriage bedroom the night after saying, I need a glass of water for I have been in Spain all night or whatever. And, um, you know, there's said to be blood on the sheets, but that could have also been, there was a fun trick women used to do where they would have a vial of an animal's blood and kind of pour it on the sheets to show that their virginity was right. taken. Um, sure. But also, you know, it could have been that they were quite young, that maybe, you know, she was uncomfortable or that he was uncomfortable and he was having, he had a great sense of bravado for his male friends. That was very important. You know, the bedding mm-hmm. ceremony was very important. 
So whether or not the marriage is consummated is still being debated to this day. Um, I don't well, have a- what information are we going to find out now that exactly? Thank you, Chloe. It's like a very, very cold case. It's so cold, and and at this point, it's an Arctic case. It's <laughs> <laughs> you need a jacket. It's that cold. So it's wow. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a scarf and a hat, some gloves. Whoa, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm here. Just saying. So based on the fact that Catherine swears the marriage was never consummated, the Pope grants dispensation and they get married in 1509 and he's king. So she becomes a, she becomes queen automatically. Um, she stays the night at the Tower of London, which was a castle, not a prison people. Um, also castles always had their own jails. So whatever. Um, it was a very nice castle. It is a very nice castle. If you can go see it, it's real cool. Um, I love going there. So they were married. They stayed the night before at the Tower of London. Then they were anointed and crowned by the Archbishop of Canterbury at Westminster Abbey. They had a lot of important ceremonies and yay. Everyone loved her. England loved her. Everything was happy. Okay. So the one issue that we're going to run into is the fact that Catherine is having a very hard time having a child. So mm. she becomes pregnant not far after her marriage, but I believe she miscarries. Um, mm. She ends up becoming pregnant like seven times mm. um, and only has one surviving child, Mary. Oh, geez. Yeah. So it's pretty sad. Um, so what happens is the first, so she miscarries and the doctors are really, um, there, there's a lot of pressure politically for her to be pregnant. So they say and her, her stomach doesn't go down in swelling. So mm -hmm. they're like, no, 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 you're still pregnant. And so she still has to go into confinement um, for four months. <laughs> I'm sure that really helps with the whole mental health thing. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Oh. And you're in a literal dark room because miasma, which is bad air, could get in and hurt you. So there's dark room, heavy incense, wall hangings. None of it sounds nice. Sounds very claustrophobic mm. to me. Um, mm -hmm. And so she had miscarried. They they could tell at that point that she had miscarried. But like I said, her stomach was still quite distended. And they said, no, 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 you're still pregnant. It must have been twins. And so she most likely had a terrible infection or illness um, due to her miscarriage. And eventually the swelling went down and there was no baby. And um, so... That kind of happens a couple times. She ends up in 1511. She has a son. She carries him to term. He is born. There are unbelievable celebrations. People lost their minds. Finally, there's a son. And then a month later, he passes away. Anyway. And then wow. she has, in 1513, she gets pregnant again. And at this point, Henry is starting to want to fight wars with France again. And so Henry appoints Catherine the regent in England. And she is titled the governor of the realm and captain general. And she begins to have to wage a war with Scotland. So Scotland is still an independent nation. They are fighting all the wars with England. Um, and although Henry wanted to go off to fight a stupid war in France, the actual war with Scotland threatened the English people because the border, you know, the borderlands and it, it was very dangerous and there were often raids and, and so she 
takes up that effort and starts becoming like a military general. Um, and yeah. so, and this is something I believe she would have inherited from her mother who was well known for riding into battle. That's pretty cool. It's so freaking cool. So cool. Oh, it's so cool. Mm. And, um, they're so cool. So she basically musters up this war effort, gets her own armor made, even though she at this point is very pregnant and gives this incredible speech to the soldiers and they rally and win a huge battle um, at Flodden Field. And um, King James IV of Scotland dies in battle and she sends a piece of his bloodied shirt to Henry for use of his military banner uh, in France. And so... Dramatic. It's so dramatic, but it was, she was so no, I love it. proud. And she said, look what I have done. I've done exactly what you said. I have not let England fall. And mm -hmm. of course the siege at Tournai in France was kind of st stupid and didn't really matter. Um, so that kind of fizzles out, but she was this incredibly important and stable force in England and people, um, really loved her, especially after that. And of course, Henry was indebted to her after that. And so, you know, she, unfortunately, the, the son that she was carrying was stillborn. And mm -hmm. then she had another son in 1514 who was also stillborn. And then mm -hmm. in 1516, Mary is born. And Mary is the long-awaited living child. Um, she is everything to both of her parents. Henry is said to be extremely involved in her upbringing, which we talked about, which is very uncommon. Um, and same with Catherine, extremely, extremely involved. And they doted on her, loved her. And she was raised to be the possible heir for England. And at this point, it still may be possible that Catherine could have a, a living son. There was still mm -hmm. hope yet. Um, and so there's a lot of kind of, um, debate about kind of how it continues. So at this point, Catherine's becoming exceedingly religious. Um, she is, you know, leading this great cause to educate her daughter as she herself had been educated extremely well. She has mm -hmm. a great tutor for her, um, for Mary, and she uh, commissions him to write a book of education for Christian girls, for Catholic girls. And it becomes this mm -hmm. like great kind of, religious and political and educational instructional book for women. And that was huge. Um, you know, no one really thought women needed to be educated. If they were, it was a matter of necessity, not, you know, equality. And instead in this book, although the book is kind of weird, it's kind of weird. The book kind of, it kind of makes you think he's a bit of a misogynist, but then who wasn't? And he was like, yes, women kind of should be educated, but only to a certain degree. Whereas Catherine completely believed in a full education of a woman. And um, just because she herself had had to be, you know, a political and military force, I think she understood that it was important for them to at least know what was happening. So Mary is being brought up in an extremely loving, very important household. She is the great hope of this, you know, reign. Catherine understood that 
you know, her mother was a queen regnant. She ruled in her own right. Her sister, um, Joanna, was ruling Castile in her own right. Um, she didn't see any reason why Mary should not inherit the throne. There was, there was just no, she didn't understand why that wouldn't happen. And so she was like, great, there's an heir. I'll keep trying to get a son. But if it doesn't happen, we have a living child. And it's clear that Henry does not think the same way. And Henry is very much obsessed with having a son, like obsessed. Um, And so Catherine has a stillborn daughter again in 1518. And that's the last time she becomes pregnant. Um, And then around 1525, Anne Boleyn, who's a lady in waiting to Queen Catherine, um, starts popping up and becoming a... uh, thorn in poor Catherine's side. And so he begins pursuing her. He had already had an affair with her older sister, Mary Boleyn. Um, and basically Anne is very clever and we'll get into Anne. Obviously she's cool too. Um, and it seems like Anne, not seems, we all know Anne held out on Henry until they got married. She said, I won't sleep with you until we get married. I think because she saw Mm -hmm. what happened to her sister who slept with him and then was basically discarded. Um, And so they start, Henry starts finding justification to be able to do that. And one of the reasons is we go back to, he can't marry his brother's wife. And there's a, he believes that they're cursed (laughs) by the Bible. Um, Well, now because they've chosen the other one. Well, of course that if his, he marries his brother's wife, they won't have any kids and God is cursing them. And he believes that in essence, even if Catherine and Arthur had slept together, which she swears to her dying day, literally that they didn't, um, that the marriage itself was an abomination in God's eye. And so they would never have kids no matter what. And so Henry starts battling with the Pope. He starts, he basically submits for a divorce without ever telling Catherine. So all of a sudden like she's just kind of displaced in his affections and opinions. And um, can you imagine you're married for like 25 years and then all of a sudden you're nothing? Um, it would be horrific. And um, a lot of this so far has been horrific. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, just add it onto the pile. Yeah. I'm not done. <laughs> Great. So the Pope is kind of like, I don't know. We did grant a dispensation saying it was okay. And then Henry's like, but it wasn't. Look at Leviticus. And then the Pope's like, yeah, yeah, but I ruled because I'm God's mouthpiece on earth that it's fine. And um, interestingly enough, (laughs) there's a lot of political pressure happening. So at this point, Catherine's nephew is Charles V. He's a Holy Roman Emperor. And he has a lot of power as well. And so they're debating whether or not Charles should marry Mary, their daughter. And at the same time, they have a great tie with um, Charles V in that um, Charles V led a sack of Rome. He like sacked the city of Rome and the Pope was his Mm -hmm. prisoner. So her nephew basically is able to rule over the Pope. And... So the Pope doesn't really have a lot of inclination to say that his Charles V's beloved 
uh, aunt's marriage is invalid all because Henry desires to have a son. And, you know, so the first papal legate is sent and um, he suggests that Catherine join a nunnery. And she said, God never called me to a nunnery. I am the king's true and legitimate wife. And she continues to say that. She says, I was called to be a wife. God called me to be his wife and the queen of England. This is my purpose. Um, And so Henry appeals that he starts getting his, one of his main um, kind of, I don't know, officers, guys. It's Cardinal Thomas Wolsey who built Hampton Court Palace. Cool fact. Um, And he starts trying to have his secretary send um, kind of dispensations. They, he tries to go about it in kind of a weird way, but um, so Henry's envoy doesn't really accomplish much. And Wolsey has to become the main guy trying to seek a decision that Henry wants, an outcome that he wants, which is to have a divorce. And so Wolsey convenes an ecclesiastical court who, which had a Pope's representative residing and the, basically they didn't do anything. They didn't rule. And, mm-hmm. um, basically the Pope said to Henry, whatever happens, you can't marry before I make a decision. You can't marry again. And Wolsey falls out of power because at this point it's four years later, it's 1529. This has been going on for so long, 1529. And he has failed. And so he goes into, um, he then tries to get Anne Boleyn forced into exile. And then because she's the source, he sees her as the source of all of his problems. Henry finds that out. Wolsey is arrested and then dies only because he was terminally ill, but he probably would have been executed. And then in 1530, Catherine is officially banished from court. Her rooms are given to Anne Boleyn. Everything's taken away from her. And she is now no longer referred to as the Queen of England, but as the Dowager Princess of Wales, meaning Henry or Arthur, Prince Arthur's um, widow. And Mm. she writes you know, basically to Charles V. She's, she's being very active in her appeal, um, but she's unable to be successful in England. And so she, Henry at this point, pretty much has the idea that he's going to break with the Catholic Church. He doesn't like that they're not obeying him. He doesn't like that he has to bow to someone else's rule. He believes he is a divine ruler. He believes he's God's representative on earth. So yada, 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 breaks from the church becomes the head of his own church. Anne Boleyn's family chaplain, Thomas Cramner, is appointed the Archbishop of Canterbury. He seeks the annulment to Catherine and um, they have a meeting um, with, basically they they hold a court that Catherine wasn't invited to, to offer a defense. (laughs) Cause you know, that works. And um, justice. hmm? Yeah, justice, justice, justice. And Mm -hmm. she finds out though, and she goes and it's very surprising. And so he asserts, he loves her, but he, he feels concerned that their marriage isn't valid because they disobeyed God. And Catherine absolutely does not believe she has to bow to this court. This court is set up um, and it's ruled, it's, it's presided over by the English and not by 
like a papal representative. And so she doesn't believe that it has any jurisdiction over her. And so when she enters, everyone's like, what? She's here. And then he's like, wait, I love you, but like, I'm just concerned that God hates us. And she doesn't like give a presentation to the court. She comes off her dais and goes to Henry and kneels before him. And she gives this speech that I love that we have. And I will read it just because it's incredible. Mm. Um, So she says she uses his own little love against him because he's like, I love you. I swear. So she says, sir, I beseech you for all the love that hath been between us. And for the love of God, let me have justice. Take of me some pity and compassion, for I am a poor woman and a stranger born out of your dominion. I have here no assured friends and much less impartial counsel. Alas, sir, wherein have I offended you or what occasion of displeasure have I deserved? I have been to you a true, humble and obedient wife, ever comfortable to your will and pleasure that never said or did anything to the contrary thereof being always well-pleased and contented with all things wherein you had any delight or dalliance, whether it were in little or much. I never grudged in word or countenance or showed a visage or spark of discontent. I loved all those whom ye loved only for your sake, whether I had cause or no, and whether they were my friends or enemies. This 20 years or more, I have been your true wife and by me, You've had diverse children, although it hath pleased God to call them out of this world, which had been no default in me. When you had me at first, I take God to be my judge. I was a true maid without touch of man. And whether it be true or no, I put it to your conscience. If there be any just cause by the law that you can allege against me, either of dishonesty or any impotent impediment, ooh, or any impediment to banish and put me from you, I am well content to depart to my great shame and dishonor. And if there be none, then here I must lowly beseech you, let me remain in my former state. Therefore, I must humbly require you in the way of charity and for the love of God, who is the just judge, to spare me the extremity of this new court until I may be advised what way and order my friends in Spain will advise me to take. And if you will not extend to me so much impartial favor, your pleasure then be fulfilled, and to God I commit my cause." And after that, she gets up, bows to Henry, turns, and literally drops the mic and walks out of court, even though they were like yelling at her to return. And as she left, she said, <laughs> on, on, it matter, it makes no matter, for it is no impartial court for me. Therefore, I will not tarry. Go on. Ooh. And just walks out. That's <gasps> badass. It's so good. I love That's it. badass. It's so good. <sighs> How good is that? I mean, how good is I like, that? I like the image of everybody screaming after her and her just like strutting out. Yeah, it's amazing. And fascinatingly enough, in Shakespeare's Henry VIII, that speech is given mm-hmm. in its entirety unedited. Do you know this? That's so weird. I was just about to ask that. Mm-hmm. I've read like hundreds of classical monologues in the last week. I, I, like, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if I've read it unknowingly. I think you did. I think you may have. I and probably would remember it. So It's a good one though. It that's one of, and Henry literally had no choice in that matter but to like agree with her. So like apparently he just like nodded after her. His like jaw was on the floor. He like didn't know what to do. It's hilarious. And then after that, she's got a point. She's got a huge. She's got a big point. She's got a point. She's got damn. She's got a point. Um. So then, unfortunately, Thomas Cramner is still very much in charge, 
And on the 23rd of May in 1533, he rules that their marriage is unlawful. And five days later, um, Anne Boleyn, or at that point, Henry had married Anne in secret. And by that point, so on the 28th of May, 1533, he, uh, Cranmer ruled that Harry, Harry? Ooh, Henry and Anne's marriage was valid. Hmm. So until the end of her life, even though she's in exile and virtually imprisoned, she referred to herself as Henry's only lawful wedded wife and England's only rightful queen. And all of her servants called her that. <laughs> um, he refused to call her anything but the Dowager Princess of Wales. Mm. She was kind of moved from palace to palace. And unfortunately, um, by the time of her forced divorce, she was separated from Mary and she was unable to ever see her again. And they were also not allowed to communicate with each other, although there were a lot of people who sympathized both with their cause and also with the Catholic cause in general. Because remember, at this point, Henry's kind of broken with the church and also displaced his wife and daughter for this new Mm -hmm. woman that no one likes. Not a lot of people like. We'll get into that next episode. And so they, they, he, he, for years, I mean, this is going on for years they Henry says, Oh, you can get better. You can basically not be in prison and I'll allow you to see each other. If you acknowledge Anne as the new queen. And both of them are like, fuck you. No. (laughs) Hmm. So Catherine is ill at this point. It's 1535 in December, 1535. And she feels very ill. She most likely had cancer. Although it was widely thought that Anne was trying to poison her and Mary. So that was also thought to be the case. So she writes to Emperor Charles V, her nephew, says, please protect my daughter Mary. And she writes one last letter to Henry, her most dear lord and husband. She says, the hour of my death now drawing on, the tender love I owe you forceth me, my case being such, to commend myself to you. And to put you in remembrance with a few words of the health and safeguard of your soul, which you ought to prefer before all worldly matters and before the care and pampering of your body for the which you have cast me into many calamities and yourself into many troubles. For my Mm. part, I pardon you everything. And I wish to devoutly pray God that he will pardon you also. For the rest, I commend unto you, our daughter, Mary, beseeching you to be a good father unto her as I have heretofore desired. I entreat you also on behalf of my maids to give them marriage portions, which is not much to they being but three. For all my other servants, I solicit the wages due them and a year more, lest they be unprovided for. Lastly, I make this vow that mine eyes desire you above all things, Catherine the Queen. Hmm. On January 7th of 1536, she dies at Kimbolton Castle. How do people always know when they're going to die? Her heart was apparently had a giant black growth on it. I think she was in a lot of pain. That makes sense. And yeah. I guess at the time, if you're that sick, the chances of coming back from it are probably small. Slim. And also remember, she's very Catholic. And so she's seeking last rites. And there's a, there's a ceremonial aspect to death as well. Totally. It's the, it's the whole, the hour of my death approaches. Yeah. Trope. That is always interesting to me. But I think that, like you said, I think if you were that ill, the odds of you coming out of it are so slim um, to none. So Mary is devastated. Henry celebrates. Um, 
by this point, Elizabeth, future Elizabeth I, has been born. And so Henry decks himself in yellow. And Anne Boleyn also wore yellow. So they're saying, there's a couple debates about this. People say she wore yellow as a celebratory color. That could be a modern interpretation. According to some sources, Spanish the Spanish color of mourning was yellow. So it could have been mm. out of respect to her. Mm-hmm. And again, we'll get into with Anne. There's a lot of propaganda about her. So There's also pretty much opposite ends of the spectrum of response. Completely. Completely. Celebration and, or mourning. Or mourning. <laughs> and on the day of Catherine's funeral, Anne Boleyn actually miscarries a boy. So oh. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. modern medical people say that she had cancer which people knew people had, but didn't understand it. Again, it was probably God's displeasure. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the time, the doctors basically were like, yeah, she was poisoned. Um, She was buried in Peterborough Cathedral, where she is still buried to this day. Henry did not attend the funeral and did not let uh, let Mary uh, attend the funeral. That's sweet. Isn't it? So she died Mm -hmm. um, when she was only 50 years old. And an extremely powerful woman, um, you know, for someone so religious, she under, I think she believed that she was, you know, her duty as queen was as holy as any religious calling to her. It was one mm-hmm. and the same. And so she, you know, she understood, she actually, she's, you can read some of her letters, which I love. She, she discusses the Catholic church. She says, yes, it's not a perfect institution, but this is God's, you know, this is what we're supposed to do. Um, and she passed that along to her daughter. Um, and so, you know, I think she's just a fascinating person. I love getting to know more about her whenever I read about her. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, she's always, generally speaking, depicted as a one note other Spanish creature um, who just didn't want to get a divorce and was dowdy and ugly and fat and which is always a threat used against women. And, um, you know, that didn't, that wasn't the case. She was queen for better part of 25 years and Mm -hmm. ruled and even helped win a war. So yeah, Catherine of Aragon, killing it historically badass broad a true historically badass broad absolutely do you want to know one thing that pisses me off sure so david starkey talks a lot about how after she had seven pregnancies and six miscarriages basically or six like stillbirths she got quite large and ugly i don't feel like it's his place to comment on that I know, but that's what he insists is like, oh, that's why Henry also doesn't like her anymore. And I was like, every woman hates you. (laughs) Uh, In this moment, for sure, yeah. Well, because she, by that point, she had turned like 40. And apparently she um, entered menopause quite young. Um, Mm. She was maybe like 35 or so. Whoa. Yeah, really young. And so she like gained weight and lost her youthful glow. And that he was, his argument was that she became more religious because she had nothing else to turn to. And I was like, no, no, thank you. Well, she also spent a lot of years 
trapped. Very much so. And I can't imagine she was like a glowing ball of joy and fun at a certain point. (laughs) Very astute. And I have to agree. Additionally, losing that many children and your body being put through that is immense. Immense. Hugely traumatic. Hugely traumatic emotionally and physically. So Mm -hmm. I disagree with that statement. Oh, but she wasn't as desirable anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what she was worth, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, now you're making me angry. I know, right? <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> oh, yay. Got it. <laughs> oh. Well, everyone, read more about Catherine. Enjoy. Enter to the debate. As always. Should her name be spelled with a C or a K? You decide. Oh, that's part of a debate? Oh, it's a huge debate. Who knew? She was baptized Catalina with a C. But she always signed her name Catherine, Katerina, Katerina, whatever, various spellings with a K. Everyone called her Catherine with a K. Her initials. So where's- hold on, I'm not even done. Everything that was engraved into the um, her heraldry, everything um, built in the palaces, the initials were H and K, Henry and Catherine. Every object, like gold goblets, gold, everything was emblazoned with H and K. Her tomb is spelled Catherine with a K. And yet I defy you to find a literary source that spells it with a K. Don't understand. Seems like she wanted to spell her name with a K. Well, then we'll have to put it with a K for for us. Ooh. Ooh. Scandalous. Ooh, I kind of love it. I'm getting excited. What rules are we abiding by on this podcast? Literally not. Who who do we report to? Ourselves. Ourselves. Hooray. Let's do it. I love it. Well, that'll be, if you're looking at the title of the podcast you're listening to, it'll be a K. And it's going to be a K. On Instagram, it's also going to be a K. All of our captions. With images. Okay. With images. So many. She was beautiful. She had so many beautiful so, paintings of her. If you're curious about what she looks like. Head on over to the podcast. It might Check already be out. posted. You don't even know. You don't know. Ask us questions. On, I, we don't on know yet either. No, we don't. I do. <laughs> Chloe we does. Will. <laughs> we will. <laughs> All right. Well, see you next month. See you next month. Thanks for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.